Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. is the founder of the Difficult Conversations Project. And what's so funny is he lives miles away from where I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, I'm now living in Germany. And we'd never met. And he was introduced to me by a Sidewalk Talk chapter leader in Australia. (laughs) That's how small the world is. And oh my gosh, just fell in love with Kern. So he is not only the founder of the Difficult Conversations Project, he's also the author of Difficult Conversations, The Art and Science of Working Together. He is a former Silicon Valley communications professional and the co-founder of several nonprofits focused on community building, conflict resolution, and youth leadership. He lives in Mountain View, California with his wife, Amy, and they have two grown sons. And he's completely organized his life to really take what he needs, and he really gives away all of his work. It's profound. So what a special human. And you can find out more about Kern in the show notes. We're so excited to have him here on the Sidewalk Talk podcast. Kern Barry. Karen, before the conversation that we're having, going to have now, I joked with you that how did we live miles away from each other? And I had to hear about you from one of our Australian volunteers. I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. I mean, uh, talk about synergy. Well, yeah, I, I, it is amazing, isn't it? How uh, connected we all are. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you are like me, you studied psychology and some somewhere along the line, you have felt compelled to help people have difficult conversations. Tell me about you as a human and the trajectory of how you arrived at this point where you're helping people have these difficult conversations. Well, um, for me, it really goes back to um, high school years. So uh, that's going back quite a ways. I'm 65 now. So I'm going back to my high school in, in the 70s. And I, it was, um, for like a lot of students in high school, it was a time of great angst and there was conflict in my family and just general um, disruption. And I had a teacher, my theater teacher at the time, who was a, a mentor to me. And Tracy, this is going to sound sort of funny, but to, he said something to me that suddenly put my life in perspective. And he said, Do you know that everything in life recycles? And it was like an epiphany to me. It's like all of a sudden, I had a framework for understanding um, life. And that there was a, and I can't tell you why I projected all of this into this statement, but I did. 
suddenly life had purpose and direction and uh, it was and, and had a, it, it was something we could depend on in a sense, right? It didn't, life didn't leave us high and dry. Everything recycles, everything continues. Wow. Now, well, that, what did that, you, can I ask so yeah. I can join with you? What meaning yeah. did you make of that? Like everything recycles? Because I can imagine a bunch, bunch of different meanings. Where did you go with that in your teenage brain? Uh, well, you know, I, I think it was the, the big question, like, um, and for some reason, it was a preoccupation to me, is is there meaning and purpose to life? Does it does it just end? Is it is it, you know, um, sound and fury signifying nothing, uh, to quote Shakespeare? Or is it, is there uh, an intention for my life, an intention for my life? That's how I understood it, that there was an ongoingness in my existence in one form or another. And it had a direction. And again, I can't tell you why I associated that with that statement, but I totally did. Mm. And, and, and so when I realized my life had an intention, I was really interested in, in what that intention was. And in subsequent experiences and conversations, I came to the conclusion that uh, the intention of life is to learn to be loving, totally loving. And that to be totally loving, we have to deal with um, the parts of ourselves that get in our way of being totally loving. And a lot of that has to do with introspection and understanding our past and our conditioning and making new decisions. Um, and there are opportunities to make new decisions that free us rather than confine us. And so that led me into a world of nonprofit work always as a volunteer in my early years, um, that were all about how do we resolve our conflicts? How do we build community? How do we become mature, loving human beings that learn how to get along? So from a very early age, that became my preoccupation. And so throughout my career, I stayed involved in nonprofit work, working in those fields, um, as well as uh, youth leadership and leadership development. And then, uh, in 2005, I was working in tech here in, in Silicon Valley in California and had reached a point where I was able to leave work. I was 50 at the time and got full time into nonprofit work. And that eventually, I won't go into it right now, but that eventually led to the work I'm doing now with difficult conversations. Wow. What an amazing kernel of a spark that you had at such an early age. I know. Talk about synchronicity and timing, yeah. Wow, and and that this person was put on your in your path to say these words to you, so profound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of makes me aware of how we don't know in these moments of deep connection what the lasting impact is of those connections that we have all day long, every day. Oh, so true, so true, yeah. Yeah. And how wonderful to go through life with sort of an awareness that that might be the impact, you know, and how mm. we how we meet people, greet people, interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds to me like as I was reading more about the Difficult Conversations Project, that there was something about the last U.S. presidential election that sparked something in you. Can you share a little bit about what was happening for you that, that led you to launch this? Yeah, I was... Um, at, at the time, I was at a retreat. We were uh, a team of us were facilitating a retreat for 
various leaders of nonprofit organizations. There was about I don't know, 13 of us. And we were all together on the night of the presidential election in 2016, all expecting, you know, the outcome everybody was expecting, Hillary Clinton. And we just sat there together watching the results come in and everybody was in shock. And I just remember um, afterwards taking some time to reflect on like, what, what, what is this about? What does this mean? Because it was, it really was shocking, right? I know I'm not alone in, in, in that response. And so I wanted to understand what had happened. It's like the, I, I was researching a little bit. For some reason, when I was thinking about this moment, it, the, the expression uh, or the term phase change, you know, came to mind, which, you know, is a term in chemistry that when, when something changes form, like ice to water, water to, to steam, that's considered a phase change. And thought our country had just gone through a phase change that shocked me. And, and I felt disconnected and I felt out of touch. And so I, uh, I wanted to do something to help address whatever the conditions were that, that had led to, to this particular outcome. And so I took a road trip with my son um, in January of 2017. It was a cross-country conversation road tour, we called it. And I had set up a number of conversations with people along the route from California to Washington, D.C., all kinds of people, liberals, conservatives, independent, libertarians, racially diverse, ethnically diverse, just to get a sense, right, just to listen, just to listen. And it was incredibly eye-opening. And I came away from that trip believing that the fundamental problem is a lack of relationship and a lack of connection. And I saw the ability to engage in difficult conversations as a process for, for, uh, for healing that disconnection. And that's why I launched Difficult Conversations Project. Wow. Talk about kindred spirit. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, right. Yes. yes. Do you know that we did the same thing? No, I do not. I would love to hear about it, though. Not quite as long as, as you. And I don't know that I went into this with the skill set that you had. I went in as kind of a novice, just jump in and make a bunch of mistakes along the way. But we flew eight people in from all over the country that didn't know one another, picked up a van in Chicago and drove it through seven or eight states and finished off in Atlanta, listening over the course of a week. So just a week. But I'm hearing when I heard you speak, I could hear the heart call in it, like this, mm. the head scratching, the earnest wanting to know, which I can only resonate with from that same place in me. It wasn't some kind of, um, you know, media event. It was really, I've just got to understand this because I don't understand. Right. So what did you learn? What did you figure out that connection or disconnection was at the root of this what you'd called a phase change? I, yes, that we had fallen out of relationship with each other. We had stopped caring about each other, stopped being interested in each other. Um, you know, one of the things that I would do uh, when I met with uh, groups where, where the people were uh, more liberal, one of the questions I would ask them is, um, what did you do to contribute to this outcome? this outcome being specifically the election of Trump. 
And when I asked that question, they were first sort of like stunned. What do you mean? What did I do? You know, I didn't vote for him. But when they reflected on it more deeply, uh, a consistent answer came up was that um, we forgot about each other. We, we lost interest. Um, the system was working for us. We were comfortable. And yeah, you know, we would make donations or, you know, maybe, it, um, you know, like a food drive, participate in something like that. But we never really took the time to understand what the other parts of the country were going through, particularly those where, you know, um, the economic structure had just sort of been pulled out from under them in terms of, you know, businesses leaving, et cetera. So that was quite an insight. I mean, and it was really beautiful to see them make that connection. And then the other thing I would say is like when I was talking to somebody who was more conservative and coming in with just the intent to listen and not to judge, but to hear, um, to ask questions for understanding, for clarity, not for entrapment, um, that what I gained in a fairly short period of time was then permission to share what I thought and my insights. And that's when real dialogue occurred. But I went into it without any expectation of, of them. I wasn't looking for them to change. I wasn't looking for them to um, agree with me. I just wanted to listen. And I think that is just so profound, so profound, because I think it communicates acceptance of the other at a level beyond our disagreements of beliefs, values, attitudes, etc. And when you establish that kind of foundation, then you can start to, you know, really kind of get into the substance of what we might think of as more difficult conversations. I think often we try to enter into a difficult conversation without really have establishing the foundation that will support that conversation. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited right now. <laughs> this, this is your work, right? This is exactly what you do. Yeah. Well, I'm not alone, right? And I, I think sometimes my capitalist brain would say to me, oh, you know, Kern's already doing it, so there doesn't need to be another project. And I'm, I realized, no, I think there's needs to be a lot of these projects. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we yes. need all hands on deck right now, and we need a bunch of different personalities, a bunch of different identities, and a bunch of different types of folks engaging in these kinds of projects, because there's a lot of work to do. I know, I know. And it's exciting, I think, because there are a lot. Yeah. So I want to learn something from you. You taught, you use this beautiful word that I, it's so fitting. And I think I'm still guilty of it, to be frank, especially because I, I grew up in a very conservative community and half my Facebook friends are from high school are all Republican and pretty far right leaning Republicans. And I know that part in me that tries to get into these, as you called it, entrapment conversations, totally guilty of it. <laughs> what do you, and, and I have my own ideas about this, but I want to learn from you, like, what do you have to cultivate inside of yourself to get out of that needing to be right, self-righteous headspace to be able to listen the way you do? Um, well, that, that is, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I mean, probably the simplest answer is we need to see it's in our interest to do that. Um, because if, if you're if you're talking 
into a megaphone and no one's listening, then you're not effective. And if you want to be effective, then you need strategies that help you be effective. And I think when once you realize that, you know, the first part of my workshop is is looking at um, kind of the emotional triggers um, that are often are involved in difficult conversations and understanding, you know, what is that trigger? And one thing we know, you know, this is a lot of people know this, but it's still relatively new at the same time, which is that um, difficult conversations often trigger our fight, flee, freeze, survival drive. And that's a very ancient instinct. We share it, you know, with, it's been developed over, right, hundreds of millions of years. Every, pretty much every creature has some sort of uh, uh, fear response, a fight, flee, freeze response. And we call it our survival drive, but it's, it's a survival drive for threats to our physical survival. It's not designed for threats to uh, kind of long-term global threats to our survival right now. So we need to see that that fight, flee, free survival drive is, is antithetical to our survival interests. And if we can really take that in, then we can begin to ask the questions, well, what would be a new set of survival strategies? And that's the kind of the framing that I use with my workshop. And I introduce um, a framing for three different survival strategies that help us engage in the conversation in a way that opens the door rather than shuts it down or, yeah, yeah. well, anyway, I'll stop there. That's what it's about. Totally feel you on that. So what I'm imagining is that you, before you set off on this trip with your son, are already considering what are the things that I need to do so that those survival instincts don't kick up when I'm listening to folks that might stimulate some of that material. Is that, I mean, I... I'm imagining that's one of the ingredients for how you don't get into these entrapment conversations like I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we set it up as a, as a, a listening tour, you know, the, the intention um, made all the difference. Mm. And, and then it was that discovery, I think, of, wow, when you do that, um, then you can actually end up someplace in a positive, in a positive place. And, and I think, you know, the other thing that just occurs to me, I, I want to add to this, is that I think often we believe that the direction of the conversation is either primarily determined by the attitude of the other person, or at least it's 50-50. And I think that as one person, we have tremendous agency in the direction of that conversation. Mm. And um, how do we become the people that you know, are aware enough, conscious enough, self-aware enough that we don't need to be so preoccupied with ourselves in that difficult conversation, but can be more attuned to what's going on in the other person. How do I help them feel safe? How do I help them feel comfortable? How do I help them become open to what I have to say? And that's another way of talking about um, love. In a way, right? We're talking. How do I, what, how do I love that person? Because it's what we all want, regardless of our beliefs and our ideologies and who we voted for. And um, that, to me, is is if we can create that environment for that conversation, it has a real potential for um, going someplace. Yeah, 
I was just having a conversation with um, a black reverend prior to you and I hopping on today. And that was his message to me. So, you know, at the root, we've got to find our way back to this love place. And at the same time, I've been listening to other folks who are living on the margins who feel like that message is deeply disempowering because you're saying, hey, you're asking me to have a kumbaya moment with people that have harmed me. And so I'm always sort of walking that path of equanimity between those two extremes. And I'm wondering if you've bumped up against that at all, where maybe you've gotten some pushback because some folks feel like, no, we need to be use our anger in service of protest and justice and not be extending these olive branches. And how do you, how are you working with that for yourself? Well, I, I would say that if that's how someone feels, believes, right, then um, that's how they feel. That's how they believe. I, and I guess I'm not, um, it's like my approach is I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm, it's an offering. And if it resonates with people, it, it resonates. Now, having said that, I would say that I have done the workshop with uh, very diverse groups, racially diverse, again, ethnically diverse. And I would say the overwhelming response has been positive. Now, there has been, um, there was one time um, in the workshop that there was a, a group of uh, Native Americans. And this was up in, in you know, you, well, you'll know, Redding, California, right? Which is sort mm -hmm. of considered the red part of our state. Mm -hmm. And the history, as was in the rest of the country, the history up in Redding with its uh, relationships with the uh, Native American community is, is very, very traumatic. So they were in there and they were um, very much sharing that point of view. So we stopped the workshop and they, the, the specific context was I was talking about the importance of, of hearing the other person's story and their perspective was, um, we, how about listening to our story? We've been waiting for you to listen to our story for a long time. So we stopped the workshop and um, took some time just to take that in and to take in their perspective and to in, in that particular group because it was this was this was part of the the culture of this group um there was time for reflection time for prayer time for just really taking in what they had just said rather than skipping over it and that allowed the workshop then to continue so i bring that up because i think um people if if the sta state of being is such that no, I cannot do that, I am hurt, I am angry, I need something from you before I am willing to engage, say, in this kumbaya moment, then we need to create the conditions where those people receive that. That's what they need. So how do we do that together? Well, it's so... It's like the model of the deepest kind of listening because they said, your agenda is not working for me. Even though the mm -hmm. agenda is to listen to me, it's not actually, I need you to drop the agenda. Mm -hmm. And you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think this is the, this is the piece that 
we're all being called to do is to drop our agendas over and over and over again and sit a little longer with how we've been conditioned and cry about it and pray about it and be in sorrow about it and then continue the conversation when everybody feels ready. I just think it's such a vulnerable story that you just shared. And I, I so insightful and powerful. I really appreciate it's really important. Thank you for being willing to share that. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for, for that reflection on it. I mean, I think when you just said we're called on to drop our agenda and drop our agenda. And I just think that should be our mantra. Yeah, yeah. That old, that's that old proverb or, or what is that the old story of, you know, if your teacup is full, you know, you, you can't receive any tea. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was having lots of conversations after George Floyd's murder and folks, I, I think that there were a lot of folks who are white that were swimming in so much shame. And I said, you know, I'm, I've moved to a certain place in my own um, activism where I said, Oh, my shame isn't helpful. <laughs> it, doesn't help, it doesn't help much. I mean, it's important to feel appropriate guilt, but I need to keep my teacup full, as you said, so that I'm available for right speech, right action, right activism, you know, right, right, rather right. than having somebody who's already been on the margins to take care of my shame. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and you know, I, 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 when I was, uh, creating this workshop, my first intended audience was liberals, because one thing I heard on my uh, road tour was that um, basically conservatives tended to be uh, not interested in joining a conversation because they basically thought it was like uh, conversion therapy. You're just trying to get me in a conversation to make me change. And then they were also, you know, afraid of being vilified. And then when I would talk to liberals, they would say, well, I want to engage in a difficult conversation, but I'm afraid I'm going to vilify them and get all angry. So there was sort of a, a match there. And I thought, well, I'd love to do this workshop because liberals are more interested in the conversation, but they lack the tools to engage creatively. So this workshop will be for them. And Oh, sorry, but then just real quickly, but what I found was that it didn't matter whether you're liberal or conservative, that both groups um, were benefiting from it. And then the other thing that I thought about was it's primarily for white people because uh, we have a lot to take in, right? And I do believe that that is true. We have a lot to look at and a lot to reflect on. And at the same time, I have found the audience to be beyond that as well. So anyway. I'm not sure what led me there, but there I went. Well, it sounds like you're sharing your internal process. Like it, it sounds like what you originally thought and then what's actually materialized hasn't quite lined up. You thought it was just for liberals. Turns out liberals and conservatives have both benefited. Mm -hmm. You thought this probably should be for white folks because we need to do some more listening, but it sounds like a, you know, a racially diverse group has benefited. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel you on that. I really, and again, that's that no agenda agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, that's right, that's right. No agenda agenda. Uh, yeah, I, I feel my own humility of all the things I've learned along the way. And I suspect five years from now, I'll still be like, oh man, I'm still learning. Uh, just taking in some of the things that you'd said. You know what's on my heart as I listen to you? 
I want to know how you're feeling now because we just had another election. Mm, mm. Um, I, um, I, I think that this is, um, obviously I think this is a, a, a good outcome. I feel like, um, what happens next is critically important. I think of a window's been opened up that if we don't take advantage of, um, we're going to really regret it. And we we need to do more to reach out to one another, to connect with each other. We can't think somehow. And I don't get the sense that we are thinking this. There's not a sense of, oh, now we can relax. The, the people that I interact with in my workshops um, are clearly still very preoccupied with the division, mostly because the division hasn't gone out of their own lives and their own personal relationships is still there. So how we move forward is really important. I think in terms of how I personally frame it for myself, um, we, are, we are fully capable of meeting the moment. And I think we need to have faith in ourselves to meet this moment. And I, I'm going in with to going into it with with that attitude. Boy, did I need to hear those words out of your mouth? <laughs> we are fully capable of meeting the moment, and I believe and I have faith in ourselves, in us, to be able to do it. That's counterculture. <laughs> is it? Is it? Well, you know what's hard. I don't know because I also recognize. I'm going to get a little soapboxy for a second. Good. The media is a for-profit industry, and we make profits off of people that are extremely emotional and triggering our fight flight. Mm -hmm. We're not going to hear about the folks in the media that have equanimity and are interested in creating bridge-building dialogue because that doesn't sell a lot of news. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if maybe you're right. Maybe there are a lot more hopeful people that do believe in the the human nature of people. We just don't hear about them because the media wouldn't make any money off of those news spots. Right, and and it does it does point to the magnitude of of the challenge as well. Obviously, right. I mean, when I think about um, capitalism as we practice it, it is it is designed to separate us from each other. It's designed to create insecurities. It's designed to create fear. It's designed to make us feel we're not good enough, that we need this product and that product. Um, it's incredibly harmful. So the opportunity, I think, now in rebuilding relationships is creating the conditions that really do make for a fulfilling life, which has nothing to do with our economic status, right? We need enough money to take care of our needs for sure. Um, but beyond that, we know what makes life joyful and meaningful is our, are our relationships and being in community and having a sense of belonging and not being constantly bombarded with messages that um, are harmful and negative. So our system has led us astray. And I think that's why it's now breaking down and so the rebuilding now is an incredible opportunity. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You think capitalism was designed this way or do you think the way that, I mean, I know it's a big question and, and 
you don't have to answer it, but it's a question I haven't answered for myself. And I frankly don't have a clear opinion on and probably change my mind about every other day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you think capitalism was designed this way or are we like so empty inside that we've warped capitalism to play to our, to our lesser, lesser selves? Yeah, I, I think I go with the with the latter. I think the way we are express our economic system is a reflection of our level of awareness. Mm. And if we had a different level of awareness, we would structure it differently. Mm. I mean, right? I mean, we would put people first. Yeah. And we don't put people first. That is so obvious. I mean, we can we can pretend that we do, um, but we don't. Yeah. So let's put them first. And then what, what does the system look like that puts people first? Can I share something with you? I've never shared with anyone before. It's just apropos because I don't know, you and I do similar things. I, Mm. one of the ways that I've been changing in this project that's been hard for me is the way capitalism has influenced the way I grow sidewalk talk. And I think along the way, early days, we had some marketing folks that, you know, bigger is better, bigger is better. And then it was our listeners that said, Tracy, question that. Mm. Connected is better, mm. which just goes back to that people first thing. Mm. But I can feel my conditioning around that. And, and now I kind of feel like a jerk because I get asked to partner with all these other projects. I just got like, I get these emails from these projects that just want to go big and be on the news. And I'm like, I feel like a meanie, but I'm going to have to say, no, thank you (laughs) because I, I want to remain connected to my husband and my sons. I want to be slow about this and take the time to listen inward. It's kind of count again, talk about counterculture. It's like the opposite (laughs) of everything I've been taught. Right. Um, because if you grow too fast, people will not be put first. Right. That's just a fact. I I uh, I, I love that. That uh, it's not about bigger is better, connected is better. That's another. That's another mantra I want to remember. You know, when when um, before I started Difficult Conversations Project, you know, I, I worked with a. We were a small team, and we were consultants to nonprofits. And so one of our um, recommendations always was to dispense with the um, scaling paradigm. Don't, you know, have your niche, serve it really, really well, and collaborate with others. Think of your collaborations as the organism, rather than you being, you know, the largest in the pond. Mm -hmm. That sense of, right, ecosystem, ecosystem, Mm -hmm. work together. That's, and I, I deeply believe that is what's needed. Everything that's really huge is a big problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's human made anyway, right? Yeah. 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 You're just affirming some of the, the things that we're doing a little differently. And that you get to choose your ecosystem as well. I think mm-hmm. also I felt this compelled way in which I should just want to be collaborating with everyone. And it's not that I dislike some people, but yeah, I'm wanting to, I'm in this to grow and learn as well. And and there are just certain folks that call my heart. Yeah. And I'm like, 
because I'm one person with limited hours in the day, it means I have to pick and choose and listen to the, that call and work with folks that call my heart. Yeah. 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 No, I think that that's, that's a really important part because, you know, we have this, some expectations around diversity and inclusion and where, where do we draw the boundaries? And, and the analogy I always love was, you know, it depends on what, what, what do you want to bake? If you want to bake a chocolate cake, then the ingredients are, are defined, right? So there's certain things you're not going to be putting in that cake. So yeah, who, who do you want to collaborate with as a reflection of who or what do you want the organization to be? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that we got to meet and so sad that I didn't meet when I was like living five minutes. Well, not five minutes. I, I We own a home in Half Moon Bay. So. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. yeah great. Yeah. We'll be back in a couple of years, I think. So we'll get to meet live. I'm in Germany now. We're at that place where it's time to say goodbye, but I let you know before we started talking that we have this ritual for ending our conversation. And, you know, at this point we have to date 8,600 listeners now around the world. Wow. And again, held by their own local leader so that there is this connection first component. Mm -hmm. But this is the chance for you to speak to them, either a wish or words of wisdom, just just directly to those 8,500 hearts, 8,600 hearts now. Well, what I what I would um, like to express is gratitude. And mm, so this pause is emotional pause. <laughs> the work of listening is so important. And and I love the phrase listening is love. And I think that um We need it, and we need the work that you are doing, and um, and I guess just to to really believe in the power of what you are doing, because every time you sit and you listen to somebody, that somebody walks away with, um, I imagine, a, a song in their heart, <laughs> and feeling perhaps better than they have felt perhaps in some time, that someone's cared about who they were and what they thought what they felt, their hopes, their dreams. It's such a beautiful gift to give somebody. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you with your words and with your tears. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being that vulnerable. Everyone mm -hmm. that's listening, I will have all kinds of links to how you can find more out about Kernberry's work and the Difficult Conversations Project in the show notes. And Kern, thank you. This was so uplifting for me. I needed to be in dialogue with you today. So I'm really grateful. Grateful. Tracy, I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you for your work and giving me this opportunity to speak with you. It's been, it's been delightful and um, educational. And I, I share the gratitude. So thank you. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, 
Tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.